Bonjour! Comment ça? I'm Ting Claraval. And I'm Dr. Catherine Wu. And you're listening to the Cultural Quotient Podcast. More people than ever are working across cultures, and this can be challenging. In this show, we discuss ideas, strategies, and stories to help you navigate cultural diversity at work and in life. Like many of us, I've worked in different places like the Philippines, China, and now here in Singapore. And I've been studying cultural intelligence for two decades in Europe and in Asia. In this first season of the Cultural Quotient, we talk about how to develop CQ so that you can be more successful in today's diverse world. Enjoy! Catherine, so now we are looking at motivation, right? Kind of the beginning of how you yeah. learn about other cultures. Yeah. Let's start with that. What, what does it mean when we talk about motivation in the context of uh, cultural intelligence? Cultural intelligence is uh, the qualities that people who are good at crossing cultures have. One of the qualities is motivation. They have a curiosity for other cultures. They feel a lot of joy engaging with people from other cultures. So... We start with this idea of motivation because motivation gives you the energy to cross culture. They give you the joy, the pleasure, and they give you also the confidence to keep at it simply because it's usually more challenging to work with people who are different from us than with people who are more similar. So forgive me if I'm oversimplifying yes. here. I trace my curiosity. Um, it's something I feel that is very natural to who I am, maybe mm. because of my upbringing. I was born to parents who are educators. Well, my mom was a teacher and my father is also a lecturer and they were both people who were naturally curious about things. And I find that my love of travel as well was inherited from both of them. If you love to read, you love to learn. If you love to learn, then you want to see more of the world. Now, my question is, if somebody... Everybody says, I love to travel, I love to travel. Yeah. Can you assume then that these are motivated people who, who have that motivation to be very, very curious about culture and therefore will have more cultural intelligence? I would say it depends. <laughs> there are two types of curiosity. There is the curiosity that makes us want to discover, like where we are excited by novelty. This is something that you see people who travel to many countries, they seek that novelty but then you have that other type of curiosity that is more in depth it's not so much the novelty that drives us and excites us but it's the discovery that comes from understanding more deeply mm. the thoughts and feelings and experience of people from different cultures so I would say just loving to travel does not necessarily mean that you will develop cultural intelligence. Ultimately, it depends on what you do during your experience traveling. When you travel, you're there on holiday. Usually, it's a very short time. But when you have to live in a country, it's very different. Suddenly, you have to find how to pay your bill, rent an apartment, or find new friends. If you have a job, you need to learn the way people relate to each other and get the job done. It's a much deeper experience. So back to your question, is loving to travel a sign of high cultural intelligence? I would say it's a sign of motivation, Okay. but it may not necessarily translate into the actual skill. I like what you said. So fondness for travel mm. could be an indication of high motivation yeah. to learn about culture. Yeah. Even if you're there for a short time, yeah. even if your interactions with the local people is brief, it's superficial, it still requires some 
first observation, yep. adaptation, you know, like when you go to Japan, you notice everybody bows, then you also kind mm-hmm. of bow as a sign of respect when greeting somebody. You watch how people eat. And then you kind of make sure, oh, I'm following the custom, I'm following the norm. Maybe it won't develop right away into intelligence, but it is a promising start, I guess. I think everybody travels differently. Mm. So it depends on how deeply you immerse yourself in the culture. If you go to a country and you spend your time in a resort, lazing at the beach, the immersion into the culture will be quite limited. If you take a homestay with the local people in some remote area in Vietnam or in Thailand, I don't know, you will probably have a much deeper, more immersive experience, which will certainly translate into deeper learning. That's true, right? And more and more, when we travel, mm-hmm. you see all these cultural experiences that are being sold like you can take cooking classes because that's obviously exposure to culture but I hear what you're saying if you are in that tourist bubble it makes it hard to really see the natural culture and therefore have those natural cultural experiences or interactions. Yes this joy this pleasure that you develop through your international traveling can help you later on when you have to collaborate with colleagues from different parts of the world. But that dimension alone of motivation is not sufficient because when you have to work with other culture, you're going to have other problems that the joy and pleasure of interacting with people of other cultures is not going to be enough to get you through. That's why we consider that in cultural intelligence, there's also confidence to push through when things get challenging. To give you an example, I I lived in China. And I moved to China because I was driven by the discovery. I was there to explore and it was fun. The beginning, it was fun, but very quickly adaptation become challenging because suddenly I'm not there as a tourist. I'm not there for two weeks and then I'll go home. Yeah. I'm there for a long time. Yeah. I have to figure out how to it's survival now. Yeah, I have to figure out how to pay the bill. I have to learn how to you know, just yeah. pay the electricity. I don't know when you were there. For me, back in the days, we had to go to the bank or some special office to Correct. buy a top-up card, Correct. right? Yes. To use that yeah, card to, to top up our electricity, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. And, but I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how to read. At that stage, whatever curiosity and pleasure and joy of discovering new cultures... Well, very quickly, that started dwindling for Mm. me because then I had to learn things that were way out of my comfort zone. That was not exotic. That was not exciting. No, and that wasn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you find yourself, you know, Saturday night, middle of the night, you turn on the light and it's not turning on because you forgot to top up and then everything is closed. Suddenly, the cultural experience doesn't feel fun and joyful and exciting. That's what I mean. The confidence is going to give you the energy to, to persist. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. those moments where you feel a bit of a, as a, at a loss because mm. you don't understand anymore, or you really feel that, wow, this is very tiring. Yes. <laughs> then you can fall back to that confidence, this idea that, okay, you know, you made it to that point, you are capable of adapting to that new challenge. So yeah, people who are culturally intelligent, they have this different motivation in allowing them to adapt. So look, I, I was the same. I thought moving to China was one of the best experiences of my life. And not because it was always fun and exciting and glamorous, but I keep bringing up travel because travel is going out of your comfort zone. And I find 
that it's the start of that spark. Yeah. Because when you travel, when you go on holiday, you are taking yourself out of your routine. And I guess that's where you start becoming more aware of having to relate to different situations, different interactions with other people. Whereas in the work setting, because it's work, it's your mm-hmm. nine to five job, it's routine. Maybe it doesn't click right away that, oh, hey, I work with different yeah. types of people and therefore there is some kind of adaptation that I need to do, but I don't see it. I don't feel it right away because this is my job is where I go every day, you know? So mm-hmm. that's why for most people who maybe struggle from the beginning with, oh, there's such a thing as cultural intelligence. I want to tell you like, hey, you're probably already doing it. You, you just don't, don't realize it. You know, whenever you try to relate better to others around you, that is cultural intelligence. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so let's talk about confidence yes. now. What does it mean? What is confidence? So you talked about, okay, I went through this challenging experience uh, when I was trying to top up my electricity bill in China. Mm-hmm. The lady yelled at me from behind because <laughs> I couldn't understand the, the characters on the top-up card. Maybe I didn't have enough money. You, you were in that situation and then you pushed through. So that is a confidence builder. That's what you mean by confidence in the context of cultural intelligence. Yeah, confidence more generally is the energy and persistence mm. that you feel when you face some kind of obstacle. So in the context of cultural intelligence, it's as simple as knowing that I've adapted to that situation. I've I figured out how to buy electricity in China when I didn't speak the language and I had no clue. And yet I still did it. Having successful experience give us a sense of if I did it before, I can do it again. Confidence is a belief, is a voice in your head that tells you, I can do it, I can succeed. Even if it's difficult, if I continue to put more effort, I will do it. So it's really defined as persistence when you feel something, something challenging is coming your way and then you continue to push through. You push through, right? Versus no confidence would mean to just give up. I have a confession here. Mm. I know I come across as somebody confident. You see me on stage. I host events with hundreds of people. You can hear it in my voice now. I'm somebody articulate. Mm-hmm. I realize now when I was listening to you talk about, oh, the confidence to push through, I actually am deeply insecure when it comes to traveling sometimes. And and look, um, we, we'll keep coming back. I will keep bringing this up. I brought this up, up in our last episode. I brought this up earlier. Yeah. We're going to touch on national culture so yes. much. And we are going to talk about stereotypes. We are, might even touch on racism at some point. Because for me, that is the source of my insecurity. So I traveled to the UK for the first time a mm. few years ago. And I stayed in northern countryside, right? And um, somebody like me was rare, <laughs> I knew uh. it, you know, <laughs> one of these small towns, you know, where yeah. they probably don't see somebody like me every day. And I went into the pub because that's the British yeah. experience. You go to a pub and that's where you observe local life, local culture. And I found myself really feeling small. I felt super oh, no. self-conscious. I remember it was five o'clock in the afternoon. I had walked from my friend's house to the main street where I knew where the pubs were. And the first pub I went to, I came in and it was empty. Like there was the bartender and I recall two men were inside. And I came in and I said, I was going to order some, some drinks. And they said they were closed. Oh, no. Yeah. And straight away, I was like, oh, okay. And then afterwards, I kept thinking about it. And I was like, oh, maybe they didn't want to serve me, you know. So then I went to the next pub. This one was open and it was really crowded. And I sat by myself at a table just observing. And I knew people were like trying not to stare. You know, when you catch people, 
just looking away. But I felt like I was intimidated because I really felt I was sticking out. But then at the same time, I just just didn't have that confidence. I had that voice in my head that said, oh, people here won't be nice to you because of the color of my skin. Mm. So I, during that trip, I remember when I was outside of the big cities, um, London, I feel more confident because you see it's really a diverse place. But once I took myself out of there and into countryside areas, that's when I was feeling so self-conscious. And it showed I wasn't as adventurous as I normally would have yeah. been, you know, when I traveled in other parts of the world. Mm. So yeah, that confidence aspect of CQ is sometimes it comes and goes. I thought I was well-traveled. I've survived China, you know. Yeah. So I had to really, really drill down what is the source of my insecurity. And then I remember when I went to Iran, which is another fantastic experience, that one also I felt insecure because it's an uh, Islamic culture and they're stricter than most Middle Eastern countries where tourists are allowed to go. You know, like the UAE is a little bit more liberal. Women don't have to wear veils. You can be in sleeveless. But in Iran, definitely you have to cover everything, right? And I felt also insecure. Mm. Same thing. And maybe it's a matter of it's my first time yeah deep into such a culture and i was always conscious that i might offend someone if you recall last time i told that story where i tried to shake the hand of the of the filipino uh, consul at the iranian Mm -hmm. embassy who happened to be muslim yes so i was the whole time feeling scared that i might do something similar another faux pas in in such a place now there's an entire industry on confidence building Mm -hmm. How how does one develop confidence, do you think, when it comes to cultural um, intelligence? Some people would say it's natural. I don't know. I don't think confidence is something that's natural to most people. So how do you... I like to think that the sense of confidence is something that... It, it, it has to do with your mindset. Mm. Do you believe that you are born with cultural intelligence? That's you a are, great that's question. It, that's right? another great question, actually. Um, yeah. Or do you believe that it can be learned? We know it can be learned. We know that people can learn to develop their cultural intelligence. That also means that people can develop their motivation for crossing cultures. Mm. Mm. So if you approach it like this from a learning mindset, then you recognize that it's working progress. Mm. So how build that confidence? First is by accepting that it may not be high all the time, but if it's not, it's okay. The second thing is, having more experience like you like you travel a lot and you travel do solo traveling you go to all these exotic places that for sure that type of experience challenging yourself even if it's within a short time provide you an environment where you can find challenging situations so having more experience naturally build confidence it's back to this idea that as we have more experience we learn that we can succeed if I have succeeded in the past, I know I can succeed again. Mm, 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 you know, mm. the, the most difficult part is to get started because you don't know yet if you can succeed. Once you've done it, you know. And so confidence builds through experience. Uh, you can also build your confidence by looking at people. People like you, your friends, people who serve as role models for expatriates, for example, when you arrive in a new country and you don't know anything, you know, find friends Mm. who have been there for a while Mm. because chances are they are no different from you Mm. and as we observe them then it's easier to relate to them and think that okay if they can do it I can do it too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then change the voice in your head whenever it 
that voice say you cannot do this, then change it to you can do it. It's auto-persuasion, which is known as an efficient way to change the mindset. Having that mindfulness to yeah. know that that voice is saying something. Um, yeah. So yeah. you bring up a good thing, right, on expats. It's not just expats, right? It's anybody who moves to a new country. I don't know if you were like this when you lived in China or even when you first lived in Singapore. We tend to then stick with our the people from our national mm-hmm. same nationality as us. I see it here in Singapore all the time. You know, Filipinos yeah. stick with Filipinos, the Indonesians stick with Indonesians. The, all these groups end up sticking together. And this is the first easy natural people who you mm-hmm. think is more similar to you. Now, at what point does it become a blocker? I understand it could be survival, it's comfort. What do you think would be the best way forward there? How do you encourage someone to develop confidence in somebody who's doing that? I think it's natural to look for what feels familiar and comfortable. When we have to relate with people who are different from us, we always have this anxiety at the back of our head. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I offend people? What if I embarrass myself? I mean, you describe it about your experience going to Iran. You know that when you have to interact with a culture that you don't know very well, you constantly have at the back of your head this, I don't know if it's fear, but it's anxiety of doing something wrong. And when you go back to people from your culture, you don't have that because you are less likely to offend them because you know what to say, you Mm. know how to relate to them, what you talk about. So I think it's natural to be looking for some space for comfort. But when it comes to crossing culture, like you and I living in other countries, it's also good to find a balance. Mm. Because if we spend all our time with people who are from our own culture, then there's no learning. Having a lot of interactions with people from different cultures, having to work on projects together, having to get things done together. That's how we build cultural intelligence, first in terms of motivation, and then later on in terms of skills. Now, if we don't have that immersive experience, our learning is very limited. But at the same time, we also need to recognize that if we are to stay for a long time in another culture, there will be ups and downs. And that brings us to this question of culture shock. Mm. Culture shock is a common thing that happens to a lot of people. I I see myself as a culturally intelligent person with high level of motivation. So when I went to China, I was really excited. But after a while, the stretch that is required of me, the effort of constantly trying to learn and adapt to this very different culture, it becomes a lot. And then you get tired. And then you have culture shock. Culture shock is when your level of interest in the culture just go down. Oh, you is f- that culture shock? Yeah, culture shock is, is ah, a psychological state in okay. which you find yourself after a while. Yeah. So when you enter the new culture, most people will have what we call the honeymoon. Oh, this oh the is, honeymoon stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, so yeah. interesting, so yeah, fascinating. Fascinating, you know? yeah, yeah. I see my students, they come to Singapore and then it's hard. We can wear shorts and flip-flops all the time. Yeah, yeah. There's so many different food we can sure. eat. You can sure. go to the beach. You can do all these things that you cannot do back home. But then after a while, there is a bit of tiredness, fatigue that sets in. And then your mood goes down and huh. you have what we call the culture shock. The culture shock is suddenly all these things that you felt so exciting and fascinating in the beginning become overwhelming. Okay. And you have this slowing down where maybe you start rejecting the uh-huh, new culture. Uh-huh, you, uh-huh. you feel like you don't want to engage with it anymore. 
For me, when I was in China, I knew I had a culture shock because I would start rejecting the food. Uh-huh, the, uh-huh, the Chinese uh-huh. food that we ate in Beijing was so different from the French food I was used to yes. eat, right? Oh, yes. And yeah. I used to be fine with that. Yes, that's right. But then there would be a point in time where I just couldn't take the food. It, it was a physical rejection of mm. the culture. That's why having some friends or some things that we are comfortable, that are familiar, is also useful because it will help you in times where you feel your motivation is going down. Right, right. You need a break, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes my students will come and they will say, oh, you know, I'm going to eat uh, local food every day, every meal. Yeah. And I tell them, maybe you should build up some space some days when you eat your own food. It's okay to eat your own food. Food is the most basic thing you that can. That comforts you. That yeah. makes you comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I knew that when I was starting to feel some form of rejection, I would go home and watch a French movie, hear my language. I will make my own comfort food and then I would just give myself a break. Maybe for some other people, getting a break is to just find a group of friends from their culture and then go have a party or... And talk in your language. And talk your language. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not either or. Yeah. I feel we have to recognize that we are cultural beings. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Our culture is what we know, is what makes us comfortable. And when we step outside of our culture to go to another culture, we are really stretching ourselves out of our comfort zone. And so we know that if you stretch too far, you exhaust yourself. And if you want to last, uh, if you want your effort to be sustainable, we have to find a way to mitigate that. So step out of your comfort zone yet, but not too far off that mm. very quickly you, you, exhausted. you, exhausted, you exhausted and, yeah, and yeah, wear yeah. down. Yeah. Understand. I never knew that was a definition of culture mm. shock. I think I had a very superficial understanding, which is literal shock. Mm. So based on the definition I had, I remember when I was in China and we went river rafting in the hills north of Beijing. It was a long drive, four hours. And then at some point we had to use a public bathroom. Oh my God, the female bathroom, the stalls had no doors. So to me, that was a culture shock. This definition, it's more of a more gradual seeping in of of fatigue, tiredness. So I think it was on my fourth month of living in Beijing and I hadn't spoken Filipino. I realized it was the longest time I've not spoken Filipino. So obviously it was all foreigners from all over the world. And at that point, I hadn't discovered yet any other Filipinos who were studying. And it was hard to tell who was Filipino because any Filipino studying Chinese in China would look Chinese because they would be Filipino Chinese. So physically, they would look more Chinese than Filipino, mm. even though they're Filipinos. So I didn't know who was Filipino. And then over time, you meet classmates, you meet friends, and when they're speaking English, you hear their accent. Oh, I think he's Filipino. Then you start connecting. So after about a few months, then there was a small group of Filipino Chinese, and I connected with them. And I remember we all had our first Filipino-only lunch. And that's when it occurred to me. It's like, oh my God, this is my first time to talk in Tagalog in about four or five months. It felt so strange. Because here in Singapore, we are everywhere. (laughs) We are literally everywhere. But over there, I was speaking either full English or obviously learning my Mandarin. So maybe that was my culture shock because for the first time, I've appreciated the conversations, just sitting there and being with the people from my culture. Um, Yeah, thank you for teaching me that definition. It's so fascinating. Maybe we can close off because we talked about motivation and confidence. I was wondering if you could share the story of your student. So I teach international classes with 
students from all around the world. And uh, recently we had a class when we spoke about different types of behaviors. And especially we were looking at how uh, people from culture that are very indirect, how do they speak when they are in groups? So culture like Thai culture, Chinese cultures, uh, Korean cultures, Japanese cultures, and many cultures that where people have a more indirect way of communication tend to follow rules when they are in group discussions where everybody will wait for their turn politely. There will be fewer interruptions. Um, so we were talking about this and how this differ from culture that are more assertive, uh, where people would be more talkative, where there would be more interruptions, people would have an idea and then they would just speak up. And in my international classes, inevitably, because of the cultural diversity, students from these different types of cultures end up working with each other. And that creates a lot of discomfort, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially for the ones who come from more reserved cultures. Yeah. And so we were speaking about this and a Japanese student raised her hand and she said, yes, this is exactly how I feel <laughs> in front of the whole class. <laughs> and she said, yes, I want to say things, uh, but everybody is talking and, and I don't know when I should speak. And by the time I'm ready to speak, the topic has moved on. Right. Right. And because she's translating in her head and then she's forming her. English. Yes, that's a good point. So in addition to the cultural difference in terms of how, how and when to speak up. Right. There's also this element of language. Like most of us, when we are working in an international environment, we have to speak English. And most of us speak English as a second language. Yeah. That also got me thinking about this idea of confidence related to language as well. Mm. Because this, you asked me, why do we need motivation? We need motivation because we have challenges adapting to different way of doing things. But language is a major hurdle when we have to collaborate across cultures, in particular when we have to work yeah. with people from other cultures. Because the ones who are more fluent have this added advantage that yeah. they don't have to worry about what to say, how to say it. And also they don't have to worry about not looking good in front of their colleagues. Right. Because the most challenging part of speaking any language when you are not fluent, you constantly have those thoughts in your head. Oh my God, what if I say something stupid. wrong or yeah, stupid, stupid or if yeah, my grammar sure. is yes. not right? Yes. Uh, what will people think? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. A and this is really because language is the tool that we use to show who we are to other people. So more articulate, more eloquent people are also perceived more positively. You know, we think they are smarter, more competent. So, so she showed extreme bravery. Yes. Yeah. So, so that was... That was courage. She was building that confidence. Yes. She was also adapting to the norms of the group, That's which right. was a more outspoken group sure. with more assertive communication. Yes. And she was bringing her confidence or she was trying to find that confidence to just speak up in front of the group um, to, to, to share that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to end on that story because when you were sharing about it, um, her observation was the direct quality of communication that yes. seems to be the cultural norm in the yes. class the dominant yes. norm in the class is something that she's adjusting to and yeah. when you were sharing that story with me earlier I was about to say it's the same in my company and I don't like it 
I felt for her because that that's also how I feel like people cutting you off while you're still in mid-sentence. They're speaking up like this and find it rude. But then I also realize, well, if this is how you guys are, then I'm going to be the same. And I find that I'm not sure I like it. So for the next time, maybe this is what we can talk about. How far should we stretch? How far should we adapt? How much of ourselves and our values do we give up just so we can be successful in a culturally diverse environment? That's going to be a whole other episode, yes, I find. Yeah? <laughs> um, we'll end it here today. So thanks again, Catherine, for a very interesting conversation. And thank you, Ting, for being such a fantastic host. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, we're, we're also growing and adapting and learning as we go along. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening. If you're interested to learn more about cultural intelligence, follow me on LinkedIn at Dr. Catherine Wolfe.